0: Gracias for pressing play, and welcome to Smart Chickens, a Working Together, Smarter Diversity Meets Innovation and Growth podcast. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Sarah Sara Kalala. We have an interesting conversation with her around her background growing up in South Africa, her journey with a major German, German company that took her to Madrid, Spain, and how she's learned to leverage her unique origin story to shape her career and future. She gives us some interesting book recommendations to get 1% better advice she would give recent college graduates entering into the workforce and we get on a we take a trip with her and michael j fox and his back to the future delorean our special guest sarah, sarah kalala is an industrial engineer she's a global citizen a subject matter expert living in madrid working parent she's seeking lifelong learning and work-life balance during c19 and beyond as always this podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Digitechie.com a conversational marketing demand gen and revenue accelerator consultancy and gypsyforever.com, uniquely handmade wellness products to help you connect your mind, body and soul to achieve a better balanced you. So a little bit about Sarah and her background. She's um, a, an incredible person, I think, because of her journey and also what she represents through that journey. Uh, but she's worked with Tyson Krupp um, Elevator Manufacturing in Spain from 2006 to 2013. That's a German company that I was describing before. She's held different titles there from project coordinator uh, to stable, f- sustainable efficiency manager. Uh, these are global projects that she's had to kind of uh, pioneer, um, spearhead. And she's also uh, an entrepreneur or solopreneur in 2013. She also took a, a dive into that and describes a little bit of the, the journey that, that took her there. She's currently a closer for a closer a sales consultant, and she's an English business services um, consultant as well. So she helps companies in Madrid that need to improve their business English to you know, get more business basically from countries outside of Spain. Um, her degree was industrial engineer, bachelor of science in industrial engineer with a field of study around mechatronics, business management, supply chain management, operational research. Uh, Something interesting that also I didn't know about her, but she um, is a female second division basketball player. So you'll get to listen to the hype song that puts her in a good mood, and she'll describe a little bit of her journey, again, through South Africa, by way of a German company into Madrid, Spain, and what she's looking to do in the future around entrepreneurship and leading a scalable business. Without further ado, let's dive in. Here's Sarah, Sarah Calada. Hey Sarah, how are you? Buenas noches. Hola, buenas noches, yes. Hola, buenas noches. So I think to get it started, we're going to, uh, I'm sharing the screens and we're gonna do your hype song a little bit before we go right into it. How does that sound? Good? Sounds
1: wonderful, wow.
0: All right, that was a little bit of Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. And today we have a very special guest that I'm really excited to have on our episode and our new podcast called Working Together Smarter. It's a diversity podcast called Smart Chickens. And so today I have the pleasure of having Sarah. So Um, great. I know that it's 930 there and you have a child and a husband. So I do appreciate your time. I know that it's uh, late in the evening over there.
1: Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. And thank you for this opportunity to talk to you and to tell my story a little bit. You know, yes, it's 9.30, but actually this is like the best time in July (laughs) because Madrid is really hot and the evenings are kind of better in this sense. Okay. So yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm thrilled.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So We'll get into your, your background a little bit because uh, we, we already had a, a bit of a call before um, and I thought it was interesting. Walk us through that because not many folks may know someone from South Africa and even less if you're from the Limpopo region of South Africa, right? So tell us a little bit of, of where you're from and sort of your, your background and upbringing and in, in that uh, part or that province of South Africa.
1: Okay, well, um, the Limpopo province is one of the nine provinces in South Africa. This is post-apartheid South Africa. So the Limpopo province was actually called an apartheid time Transvaal, okay? So if you know a little bit about South Africa, you know like um, of its Dutch and English heritage. Anyway, apart from that, I was born in the northern part of the country. You know, just to give an idea, I always say, you know, when people think about the northern part of many countries, they always think about the more well off parts of any you know, country, but ours is the opposite. So it's the more rural and poor part of South Africa. Anyway, so that was 39 years ago and I was brought up in a family of six people. I've got three sisters. My mom is now retired, uh, is a nurse or was a nurse and my father was a glazier. So this is more or less my background growing up in South Africa. So in a rural home, you know, compare that to rural setting in the first world country, it has nothing to do with that. So we talk about, you know, dusty roads, you know, things like that, but I was very lucky, you know, because my mom was working and my dad so they could provide for us. I mean, it wasn't all that terrible, but it was still rural South Africa without running water for everybody, that sort of thing.
0: That's great. So unpack to me, so you're obviously, you know, um, growing up uh, in a a house full of, you know, siblings, and you've got a professional in your mother as well as your father. And so you're working, I'm, I'm sure like most of us uh, at that young age to try to get into, uh, um, you know, a, a college or university. And, and we know you went to University of Witwatersrand. Is that correct? Wit- Is that how you say it?
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So we say Witwatersrand, that would be the English, and then the Dutch, you couldn't really like the Wettwatersrand. So, you know, you can see all these sort of Dutch English, you know, <laughs> Uh, parallel routes going on in South Africa. So, before that, before going to university, um, I actually went to a boarding school. So, that is like a step before that because I, um, I was basically going to local schools where I, I grew, where I was born until more or less 12 years old. And from 12 more or less until um, 16, 17. I was in that boarding school. And that was also one of my formative years. And that really made a big influence on me because that um, helped me to be able to get into university financially, you know, and in financially and as well as mindset wise, you know. So in South Africa, um, when I was at that age, more or less, it was good schools were not available to everybody. Like public schools were very sort of. Um, basic and to get good preparation to be able to get into a university like, you know, Vets University or Whitwater's Rent, my boarding school education was key to that.
0: Right. Now, that's interesting because here in the U.S., you know, most people go to public schools. Boarding schools is usually left for those uh, children that are misbehaving, not not necessarily they're excelling. (laughs) At least that's how it's portrayed in the movies, Right. But yeah. that's sort of interesting. You know, there's definitely, you know, cultural differences in education, yeah. um, especially when they're, they're European nations that, that colonize parts of, you know, of Africa as well as uh, India. And so boarding school is not seen as something um, that, that uh, different. Yeah. Uh, but, but for us here in the States, or even let's say South America, you don't really hear too much boarding schools. You hear private schools a lot in Latin America, but yeah. not boarding schools. So it wasn't because you were a rebel then, I, I presume.
1: Um, no, actually <laughs> when I, I was very excited to go, you know, I could leave my home, you know, like from my parents, you know, were pretty strict. And of course, I'm also thankful to that because it kept me on the street and they were always telling me, look, um, study hard, you know, commit to your education to have a brighter future. So, and sort of going to boarding school and showing them that I could be responsible outside of the home and still be away from them was a huge feat for me. And that was exciting for me. Um, so I was looking forward to it and it, it helped, sorry, that one of the girls from my village was also in that same boarding school. So she was going to just sort of protect me or look after, you know, after me in a way. Wow, yeah. That's, that's
0: great. That, that's part of uh, your story that I hadn't heard before, but that's interesting. Yeah. So, so take, un- unwrap that a little bit. So then you go to boarding school, then obviously you get into the university. Um, why did you choose that degree? Uh, you know, first off and like, what was your mindset, your, your process, or your thinking behind that?
1: Okay, so why I chose that degree is another story on its own. Basically, um, just also to give you a little bit of a background and you know we hadn't spoken about this. So in apartheid South Africa, basically black people had jobs and profession chosen for them. Like my grandmother, mm. my grandmother's generation, you could only be like a teacher or a nurse or a maid. So my grandmother was a maid and for my parents' generation, um, you could only be like a teacher or a nurse or a police officer. So when, you know, like uh, for my generation, people were born like, of course, with um, the um, gaining freedom through Nelson Mandela and, you know, all the activists in 94. From that time, then it was a huge opportunity. And there was this um, imperative for black Africans, for black South Africans to kind of seek uh, key Professions, you know, in engineering, you know, professions like engineering in sciences, etc. Et right? So I remember that time, and of course, in every person's generation, there's like a fashionable career to pursue, right? Nowadays, it'll be like being a startup and, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah. in, in our generation, it was doing things like accountants, like being a chartered accountant or actual sciences. And the way I got into engineering was my cousin from my paternal side told me, Sarah, Go and be an engineer. You know, this is you know this uh, the accounting side, the business side of things is too crowded. You will be the first engineer. No, no, the first female engineer in our family. And that just like you know um, seduced me. I thought, wow, okay, yeah, that sounds <laughs> good. So that's why I, I got into that.
0: That's interesting. So you do have a little bit of a rebel in you because you <laughs> were seduced by a profession that not many people had. But no, yes. all kidding aside, uh, that's that's remarkable and. Uh, it's remarkable in two ways. One, because you pursued it, you got your degree, and that's what your profession is, is um, you're professionally you know, uh, educated around that, but also because uh, it, it broke the barrier to your point. Um, before that, you know, someone that's not from South Africa, it might be difficult for them to comprehend that you were only given you know, kind of a XYZ type of path to having a career, right? Um, so that, that's remarkable in itself. So now talk us through, so now you, you know, you graduate and then, you know, um, there, there's a, there's, there's, um, a, a pretty common, you know, kind of saying, which is that success happens at the intersection of opportunity meets preparation, right? So for you to talk to me about when that moment happened to you in your career with your engineering degree and working for the German company, Dyson.
1: Okay. So, you know, I was um, working in my first job, and you know, another little thing that I have to add into that is my first job was as a result of a bursary, like an internship. So I got my first job through a bursary. So the, this company actually in South Africa, had paid for my studies at university, and of course, I was you know obligated or to to work for them for 5 years which they had which is you know a fair a fair transaction sure and so in my first year i found myself working for this company and i was not quite settled during my university years i remember and in industrial engineering you know it was all about optimization and it was a little bit different from the workplace that I found, with all its politics and everything. So I was, you know, a little bit restless, and now sort of toying with the idea of, wow, five years, but I have still have to do this, or like pay out it, etc. And right at that time, because I had a good relationship with my university professors and lecturers, when I remember some lecturers, you know, um, were in touch with us to just find out how our first year was, and I had kind of let my professor know that that was happening you know in my life and that i was kind of looking still under the radar and therefore when through a recruitment company like through a headhunter, hunter um, they came to our university to find out um sort of new graduates who were in the market they gave my name okay as one of the people to try to recruit into this uh, opportunity so As they say, you know, the rest is history because I went through the interviews and um, I got through and yeah, and that was why I'm here today, you know, so.
0: Right, so talk us through that. Like, so you got handpicked. I know you're being modest, but you got handpicked through this process, recruitment process to one of the top five um, global companies in manufacturing of elevators and sort of commercial type equipment. Yeah. Um, so if you're allowed to say the name of the company, go yeah. ahead and, and mention the name of the company and then yeah. and then talk us through that, that very special project you were part of because it, it sounded to me that it's a global project that we're, they handpicked not just from South Africa, but other neighboring content, uh, um, countries in the continent of Africa as well as outside of continent of Africa. Tell, 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 uh, tell us a little bit about that and that experience, what that meant to you.
1: Okay, um, well, just to for the completion of that story, I was chosen along with two other people from South Africa. So it was the three of us, okay? Um, So two from my university, me and another guy, and one from the university in Pretoria. And then of course, many others. So yeah, so the company um, was Group, and I got um, recruited into a program which was called SEED. So SEED um, is actually an acronym for specialized education, for executive development. It was really a really great experience. So basically we were brought from different countries around the world. The strategy of Tizen at that time was to get young professionals from their countries, train them in Spain, which were doing very well in real estate and of course in um, passenger moving or people moving equipment, like you can imagine, elevators, escalators, passenger boarding bridges for airports, right? To train them in Spain, where the business was really um, thriving and then take them back to their country. So in that program, it was wonderful. I mean, first of all, you know, we used to call ourselves like the United Nations because there was so many nationalities, you know, like from, in Africa, it was, you know, we had people from, one guy from Tunisia, one guy from Morocco, one guy from Egypt, from, you know, in general, from the Middle East, from Jordan, in Europe, Italy, um, Albania, you know, it was really, really exciting. Um, And to, for me, it was an eye-opener because before that period, I had never really left South Africa, just been in Lesotho and, you know, Namibia neighboring countries, but I never gone so far. And of course, had this opportunity to immerse in this very specialized program which was fascinating. It was a sort of MBA on its own. I mean, we learned about the finance part of it, the business itself, human resources, because we're actually trained to become managers in our own countries, having understand the the, the, the business on a global scale. So it was a wonderful opportunity. I mean, I cannot describe it into words. I was, you know, um, floating. I was really, really ecstatic to, to have the opportunity and even to... To, um, to, to be able to go where I had never thought of before. And definitely, I think I'm going to buy into what you've said, that I'm a rebel. Because I mean, at that time, I was just like, okay, mm, I'm not really sure I'm happy in this company to like, wow, this is opened. And I just, I'm just going to jump at the opportunity. And that's what I did. Yeah.
0: That's great. Yeah. So that experience obviously um, shaped quite a bit of your life because you then became a you know, kind of an expat, not expat, sorry, um, you're working as an expat in a, bit, in a way, I guess, in Madrid, in Spain. Yeah. Um, totally different culture and language than is yeah. South Africa with its sort of a Dutch uh, ancestry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So talk us a little bit about that and what that experience has, has meant to you, what, what challenges as well as opportunities you've been able to find or uncover uh, from being a English speaking South African businesswoman in Madrid.
1: Okay. um, Yeah. So basically from the period of the, um, let's say, training, okay, in this company, um, we were really in a cocooned environment because we were working together as a group of people. I remember there actually even three um, Spanish people in the group. So imagine like when we went to restaurants together, they would like help us through the menu card, stuff like that. And the company itself helped us a lot through the paperwork to get all of that done. But yes, like you said, I had no notion of the Spanish language at all. And in 2005, which is when I came um, to to Madrid, to Spain, um, we didn't have the amount of technology and and applications that you have now. So I actually had a little, you know, um, book, a little booklet, you know, from Spanish to Um, to English and I remember just like going to random people and like asking them like in my broken Spanish like where is this and where is that and I can tell you that my experience coming to this country has been you know nothing but wonderful like people you know were generally very kind and very patient and and very helpful I mean Uh, I can tell you many anecdotes, but you know, one in particular of me asking someone for directions and there was, you know, um, in a senior man, you know, with his walking stick, I asked him and he insisted to actually take me to right to the street, you know, where I was going to and very patient. So, you know, um, Spanish people I'd say are very hospitable and, you know, if you're open to them, they'll be open to you. So that was wonderful. Yeah, that sounds, um, that, sounds,
0: that sounds like part of our DNA. Uh, yeah, siendo, siendo latino, entiendo que yeah. uno siempre es servicial. You want to help others. So, so no, continue. So that—that that was a, a a good experience that you had. Yeah. Um, what about um, some challenges? You know, because I know not everything is is rainbows and sunshine when you're yeah. when you're trying to get into a new country, culture, market. Yeah. And, and getting hired or working your way. Yeah. Um, in the workforce.
1: Yeah, um, well, some of the challenges that I've had, you know, were, for instance, you know, there's just sort of certain things maybe which are subtleties and um, that in Spain, you kind of have to, um, let's say, manage or, or come to terms with. I mean, for example, one of the things that shocked me um, culturally was um, sort of like um, being called like negra like that. And of course, for me, you know, certain, I think certain notions that have to do with race, maybe not sort of outwardly racist like that is, you know, that shocked me at first, um, you know, the, the Spanish language itself and also the brusqueness of it, you know, um, in some ways. And, Especially when I arrived in 2005, it's true that um, it's, it's a challenge to be from another country, not speak the language, and I know that you know from when I came into Spain and was looking for opportunities, at et cetera, and, and working in a company which was mainly, let's say, in construction. I could do certain things and not quite others. You know what I mean? So, um, so imagine to be on a construction site not so much, you know, because um, the people that I hang out there, you know, probably would not be very, very politically correct and and things like that and and, and things involving authority. So um, I think that the heritage of the Spanish language itself and also the fact that maybe spain has not maybe dealt with um africans now it's actually dealing with africans much much more than it did in my in my time you know they don't really quite know how to handle or how to talk about certain issues and there's certain expressions that could be very racist but for them it's been like said that for ages and no you know um but it's not like the type of racist which is like um you won't hang out with us or you won't date you or anything like that It's, it's, it's it's a certain type so that and also the opportunities because um it's still um, you know, a culture which is rooted in tradition and conservatism. Um, that you know, that has been challenging to kind of break through that. Um, to be able to later on, for example, now as a, a business English close, uh, a business English coach, and also as, a, as well as a closer, because now I can demonstrate that I can speak the language. That I'm a little bit more immersed. I've broken through those things. And of course, I think now the awareness is much, much more, but years before it, like at face value, you will have to kind of um, knock very hard or do, you know, um, opt for other options to be able to get through and imagine like to just call somebody, okay? And say, hey, I've got this um, idea or I can help your people to improve their English, et cetera. Years ago, it wouldn't be so easy, okay?
0: Right. Now, that, that's an interesting point you make. I know that in the Spanish language, it's a rich language, Espanol, el Castellano, yes. yeah. and sometimes, sometimes words of endearment um, yeah. that, that to them saying negra o negrita might sound yes. like words of endearment, but yeah. to someone who had never heard it in that context yes. may come across as that sounds a bit just, you know, kind of not, not what I would uh, be accustomed to being called back in my country, and yeah. therefore, it might be con- conceived as, as as a bit racist, right? Yeah. Uh, but I understand that. And I'm glad to hear um, that since 2005 and now we're in 2020, getting into a, a new decade, that you've seen an improvement and that you've seen a, a conscience effort by the Spaniard population to embrace diversity. Now, Spain yeah. has been uh, a pretty diverse country uh, because of its borders and in terms of the country itself and its colonized Uh, parts of Europe and South America, we all know very well, right, through history. So um, I I think that, you know, it it does come down to um, embracing diversity. And you only can embrace diversity once you really interact with someone who's not like you. So in in, in that respect, I imagine that you also learned quite a bit from, you know, your experience around how the culture in, in Spain is different, but also maybe similar, and vice versa from your peers and colleagues and friends. Now, so walk me through, you, you've done, um, you know, you're, 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 you're working, you had, a, you had a stint as a, um, uh, a bit of an entrepreneur um, and uh, you know, what, what made you decide to take a break a little bit from when you're working at uh, this, this uh, German company Tyson, and uh, decided to do the entrepreneurial route? What, what motivated you to do that or encouraged you?
1: Okay, so um, with your permission, let me just go back to what you said about um, when people are different. Um, it, it's actually wonderful that you've said that because, for example, when I've said to, you know, Spanish friends or even, you know, acquaintances, look, saying, de negros, trabajar como negro, like, work like a
0: sí, no, so that person,
1: again. it's, no. you know, like, and also because of the, of the, let's say, of the historical connotations, where those things came from, they came mm-hmm. from racism and, and everything else. You know what they told me? Actually, this is interesting because of what you've said. They told me, um, Sarah, forgive us. We, in Spain, because of dictatorship, in Spain itself, we've not, we've not had access or contact with, you know, people like you for many, many, many years. So, of course, like the stuff that's been like, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's true that, in mm-hmm. fact, um, exposure to other cultures is so enriching. So, you cannot be like in your cocoon, wherever you are. For me as well, and be open. Diversity has to, is actually a result of, this exposure and contact. So just to add on what you said about um, the fact that they were not, and, and this is what people, you know, told me. And, and from that point of view, it's true that, um, in this sense, I feel also this openness to say, look, you know, I'm, I'm willing to engage you and tell you why I could be my own ignorance. And, and we share it from that point of view. And I've also learned about my own ignorance as well. So Interesting. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: So when you talk about now that you're immersed in the culture, hablas español, you've got your family there, you're married, you have a child. Yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. Talk about the, you know, what what what's always challenging is you open up, you know, your new business. You have an entrepreneurial spirit. You test it out. So, how did you get to that point in your life when you decided to uh, start your on your own for a little bit?
1: Okay. So, um, that was 2013. Okay. So this was, you know, as you can imagine, um, sort of a little bit past the, um, real estate recession worldwide, et cetera. And of course, as, as I mentioned, Tyson um, is, um,
0: was impacted by, I presume. Was impa-
1: exactly. In fact, you know, Tyson is not only in, in elevators, it's in others as well. As in other areas as well. So, you know, at that time, I remember there were sort of rumors, you know, starting to surface that the company would be doing major restructuring. You know what I mean? Um, so, basically downsizing
0: the, and so forth.
1: Exactly, because of the, you know, um, and of course, imagine like the m- most part of their business, you know, was in, in that. Spain was hit, as I mentioned, like the whole bringing to spinners because Spain was doing so well. Spain was really massively hit, and many other countries around the world. And therefore, um, because I had always had this entrepreneurial bug, I thought to myself, okay, um, maybe this is the time that I should jump ship, okay? At that time in the company, um, I had been working human resources. I was also working in sustainability, which were actually very interesting projects in the company, but I felt, okay, if I had always wanted to try out entrepreneurship, this is the time. And then, you know, I, I resigned from the company it completely really treated me very well, you know, in the whole exit procedure. Um, I took my package and at that time I was, I had my eye on tourism. Okay. So mm-hmm. I thought about like um, putting together a company um, around luxury tourism. When you mentioned challenges of, I think it's not only for me, challenges in Spain, um regarding entrepreneurship are the bureaucracy okay Mm -hmm. entry bureaucracy so entry barriers sorry so for instance like um as a solopreneur you have the rates that you pay even before making an income and for example when i wanted to get into tourism um to bring for example asian tourists russians and and you know people from the other speaking countries but sort of high-end tourism to spain and to be able to cater for them i'd realized that there was just so much to pay like huge amounts of capital to be able to start that so you know those are some of the things that are very very challenging and for example if you do not know you know the ropes and you have to contact a lawyer that can be a very long you know drawn out process fortunately yeah. since then there are lots of people you know um, foreigners from all over the world experts who we're now live in communities and we're kind of like helping each other through that but at the very beginning it's just very frustrating. You don't know what today. And of course, um, very, very costly. Long story short, um, that business idea didn't take off. Um, lots of responsibility on me because I didn't do my market research very well. I didn't really do the key things that I was supposed to now with hindsight, hindsight, right. And, yes. um, in 2014, um, I felt pregnant. Of course that made it even harder to go to travel agencies of, you know, Chinese people at that time. I was even like a, <laughs> toying around with learning Chinese because <laughs> I was like, okay, I have to be equipped to, to be able to handle this.
0: Right. To cater and, to your audience. So you were even thinking about adding a third language. You speak e- English, Afrikaans, actually Spanish.
1: Uh, yeah. And it would have been
0: a fourth language. Sorry. Right. Yeah.
1: It could, but I, I speak a native um, language from South Africa, which is um, from the Northern part of South Africa. So yeah, it could have been like f- I speak like a half languages, you know, it's like four and a half, five and a half. So yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was playing around with that idea. But anyway, so, um, because in 2014, I fell pregnant, of course, now with a new baby, you know, in a foreign country without the family support, et cetera, things just becomes a little bit complicated, you know, to be, you know, going for these meetings and trying to get this travel agency to look at your parties, et cetera, just, you know, things um, kind of become more and more complex anyway. So at that stage, um, I thought to myself, okay, what could make my entrepreneurial career a little bit, um, more, let's say efficient or easier than what I had in, back? cause that was going to be a huge project, which needed me to be the way I was before, like without a baby. And I thought, okay, I speak English. There's a big need of, of English. In fact, when I was working in Tyson group as a training manager, we had employed a lot of english teachers because you know in spain the english level is not very high and of course as spain um and spanish companies require more and more to um do international business you know the fluency and proficiency in the language becomes vital so i thought okay you know this can give me flexibility to be able to take care of my child you know if i can leave him in daycare, then i'll be able to do that you know as well as use this skill that i learned um and in Spain I'm sort of considered a native speaker because I speak it um
0: fluently, fluently. Yeah yeah y además yeah. Me, me imagino que lo hablas eh, eh, terminología que tiene sentido con el mundo de negocios and you pivoted so you did a yeah. little micro pivot yeah. you didn't necessarily um you know as they say that the road to success is paved through failures right yeah. So even these little micro, what, you know, pivots are, that might be because you consider that the, 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 the you know, the idea you had, the first uh, business idea that you had didn't work out, you still can always pivot, change, and then kind of quickly adapt. Um, so that's great to hear that that's what you did. So you, you basically became a subject matter expert with business English, yeah. uh, translations and, and training and consulting.
1: Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, that's what I did. And, you know, so basically I'm going to relate this to engineering. Of course, like when my cousin told me do engineering, then I had to think, okay, what type of engineering? Cause that's like a huge world. And I said, okay, chemical, mechanical, electrical, electronic. And I saw industrial and somebody had told me, look, industrial engineering is like uh, being the jack of all trades. Okay. So you know everything has like two sides to this. So basically through, you know, business English coaching, I felt like a little bit of that, of course, being an engineer, okay, you'd think, okay, wow, you're sort of overqualified for this, but it's true that, that I can kind of, you know, um, position myself as a business English teacher because I've worked in the corporate world at this level, leading projects, et cetera, I could be able to work with human um, resources people, work with sales executives, because I'd been in sales etc. et cetera, and, you know, speak, um, like talk the talk, walk the walk kind of thing. Um, and also my, let's say my, in, um, inquisitiveness regarding knowing different subjects matters was aroused again, because, you know, through this, I've been able to work with different companies like pharmaceutical, biotech, retail, you know, so I could be able to just go back to, because I love this you know, I love to be in different areas, but I could be able to do this through language. So. You know, sometimes, you know, um, things go full circle in a way, and maybe this will be one example of that.
0: Yeah, no, interesting. I think it's fascinating that you were able to, to kind of run with that and see that there's a need. And it's yeah. sort of, you went, you went uh, to a, a sort of like a niche or a subcategory. Yeah. You already knew the business world, the corporate business world, because you were in it yeah. at a large organization. You were in Madrid, in Spain, knowing that there's a need for fluency in business Spanish, um, for companies that are trying to grow outside of Spain, and so uh, you know, English is the number one business language. Probably, you know, Cantonese and and, uh, and Chinese or uh, dialect, uh, the other dialect I forget. Um, Manda- Mandarin, Mandarin yeah. are probably uh, gonna get, gonna get a close close second, or maybe even surpass English at one point. Yeah. But uh, but that's an that's an incredible way to look at things and shift quickly, um, yeah. and and take advantage of your skills. You sort of so that leads me to a, a segue, which is. So when you think about, because of your background, your upbringing, and, and sort of the, the 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 journey you've had so far in your career, um, what would you consider sort of that 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 superpower, that that thing that makes you you or unique, and that you're you're embracing into your current role and potentially into future roles? What what do you what do you what do you what do you look for?
1: Okay, so my superpower would be resourcefulness, you know. Um, you know, whatever kind of life throws, you know, um, at, at me, I think that'll just be my superpower to be able to say, okay, I've got this, you know, like, so life gave me lemons, you know, make a lemonade. Um, and I think this just helps me to not dwell too much on, you know, having fallen or having tripped and also to be like, okay, so this could be a challenge and also an opportunity. So if I see this opportunity, this is what I could do, you know, so just rolling with that and seeing where it takes me. And I guess through that as well, um, with time I found out that sometimes I'm able to get to my long-term goals, even though not at that moment, you know what I mean? Because you know, you have like a curveball, what to do. But then if you run with that, you could still, you know, because they say, Many roads lead to Rome, right? Not only one. So maybe the curveball is just taking you to another road that will lead you to Rome. So, um, so resources. I, 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 I mean, love that
0: analogy or that yeah. saying. I hadn't heard it in a while, but I think you're right. So speaking of the the many roads lead to to Rome, um, part of what we're all going through because of this global pandemic also is this work life balance that now has been thrust upon us. We're all pretty much working from home or more remote. These days, I know Europe is doing better than us here in the U.S. in terms of the ability to get out of quarantine and social distancing to, sort of uh, as, as uh, regulations by our, by our governments, right? But talk me through that because you just mentioned, you know, and I'm a working parent, so I, I can empathize. I've got uh, two little boys, uh, a, a, four, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I have my wife, and she's also a working parent, has an e-commerce business. So how are you juggling all that? What, what, how has that been for you? Um, being in Madrid, maybe with your new support system, but your family's obviously probably away right
1: okay, um well, you know first of all, when it comes to the pandemic, I have to um you know quote from a book I think the the author the last name of the author is Friedman, the world is Flat, or like you know how Ooh. connected we are, or maybe six degrees of you know connectedness um because For us in in Spain, in March, it was like, oh my God, okay, this is not going to happen to us. It hit Italy, then it hit us, like really hard. And for us, it was just like suddenly, okay, boom, um, react, you know? So kids are at home with you. For me, I was fortunate enough because um, for business English and business coaching, I could just directly do it online, okay? So I was able to do that, but having a child at home, because, you know, the children still had tasks that they needed to do they still needed like mommy time you know this was you couldn't tell if you can't tell a five-year-old like hey i'm on a call you know like sit there quietly so there was you know a lot of juggling and a lot of explaining um to to my child and a lot of communication with my husband as well because he's working as well so it's kind of like all of us have to compromise somehow like okay um you have lunch with him because you know and for the children um the children who've lived through this and of course at different ages you'll hear them in different ways you know like i know that you have um two sons of course you know as siblings or as single children or whatever situation you know you have hit them in different ways and i think we need to really empathize with um how well they've kind of adjusted because imagine like you know mom and dad are at home but they're just like most of the day like get away don't disturb you know don't you know photo bomb or video bomb my zoom call um Mm -hmm. So being, this has been through, you know, a lot of, as I said, communication and a lot of preparation, as in, you know, um, every day in the morning before my hectic day begins, like, you know, he's some um, almuerzo. he's like little branches on the table. And also, it's been good from the point of view of, um, with respect, respect to children, when my working day actually ends, it's been like, okay, now it's my son's time, like, you know, mm. of really sort of, look let's play this game like screen we, we you know we now have like a um off-screen time like that is now time that we've established after all this period because it was just like i can't be now on my phone after that when my son was just like watching me um and being distant from me in that way um so it's it's been a learning experience you know um and i think maybe the biggest thing for everybody has been that things can change in an instant and I think it was Darwin who says that, you know, because of course Darwin was like the survival of the fittest. No, the survival of the ones who can adapt maybe the fastest um, and the most. So I think this is a huge learning for all of us in that respect.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that it's been, um, you know, that the only constant is change right now, right? And, and that is, is just the way it's going to be. Yeah. And the quicker you are, uh, learn to embrace it and kind of go with it. I, I just, you know, got done interviewing uh, Morgan J. Ingram, um, who's a pretty, pretty interesting, um, you know, professional here and out of Atlanta and yeah. in, in sales uh, expert strategy and what have you. Yeah. And he said something. I asked him about the work-life balance. And yeah. he was like, well, you know, what? I don't believe in work-life balance. Uh, it's yeah. more like a flow is what he said. Yeah. Now, of course, he's also doesn't have. He's not a working parent yet. You know, he's yeah. in his thirties, uh, still single, or maybe not single. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's a little different when you have uh, children involved as a working parent. I, I agree hundred percent. Yeah, I think that flow though does make a little bit of sense. That you know, we're learning how to um, kind of just bring both our what we have to do. Uh, you know, to 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 keep being professionals and work right but also that, that, that time to get off the screen, be with your loved ones, uh, whatever age they are, um, could be just your, your, your partner, um, your significant other, and, and, and have some time that is not um, on the screen, on a laptop, on a cell phone, on a Zoom call, uh, even though this is on a Zoom call, right? But so I get it 100%, but I'm glad to hear that, that you managed the way to do that with uh, your, young, your young son that's five, um, five or six? Five. 5 right 5 minus
1: yeah. 6 yeah.
0: so you know that takes me to a little bit of you know i know you're a lifelong learner i've heard it to you, heard it a couple times T- take us through um, some of the books that you're currently reading or you have read or you even plan to read that are helping shape you in your career and even in your life
1: okay so um, i'm currently so wow books that have shaped me so two books so far this year, um, two books that three three books that have shaped me um, are um, Outliers, um, Atomic Habits, and um, let me just quickly confirm in search for in in search for meaning in life or something like that. Okay, let me just in search for life's meaning, right?
0: That's crazy. Um, You mentioned two definitely well-known, pretty, pretty well-known business books. Yeah. And then uh, this one sounds a little more on the spiritual side, which is nice. I had asked the same question to Morgan and Morgan uh, was like, I only really haven't, he, of course, he reads like business books, but he was like, he's more into the, uh, the kind of the fictional stuff. Um, You know, the, the Narnia's uh, of, of kind of Uh fiction books. Um, Okay. So that, that's, that's what he does to try to get on his creative zone is what he said. So I see okay. that you're doing a bit of the same. You're getting both the academic, pragmatic sort of text, you know, kind of books that we all try to absorb, but also on something that touches outside of uh, business life, let's say, right? Yeah. So interesting.
1: Yeah. But, um, you know, sorry to, to, to just cut in there, but um, actually these are books that I finished, Highly recommend Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning about his time at the concentration camp. Wonderful book. In fact, he's got um, YouTube videos that you can check out. Wonderful. Um, But right now I'm reading a more pragmatic book and this is um, um, Traffic Secrets, you know? So, because yeah, you know, with everything else, mindset is very important. I've actually worked a lot in mindset in terms of having consumed Reddit, et cetera. But you know, Traffic Secrets is the book that I'm reading now, and I'm excited about it because it's kind of it even has like um, worksheets and stuff that you can download and apply. So hopefully, I can be able to, you know, apply that and start making funnels and you know, the brands no, That's and great. You mentioned
0: yeah. actually someone that you you that uh that you follow his methodology for closer, and yes, he, he said don't something talk. that you mentioned to me the other day, which I thought was fascinating and interesting. Yeah. don't just read a book. Yeah. You, Right. So you're definitely doing that. And it sounds like you want to do that with this book, Traffic, which, without, you know, tell us a little bit about traffic and what you're trying to get out of it to to put it in perspective.
1: Okay. So um, the book is called um, Traffic Secrets and it's by Russell Brunson. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, basically, you know, imagine like what I'm doing as a business coach. And right now with the pandemic and stuff, I mean, for me, the whole point of business has always been about leverage. You know, I'm only one person. I'm getting older. I have one child. I probably, you know, I want to have, you know, one more child at some point. And therefore, you know, being just one person, if I get sick, you know, with the model that I have, then I will not be able to earn, you know? So basically traffic secrets and actually all the materials from Russell Brunson help me or will equip me to be able to leverage um, online presence to be able to systematically create funnels and um, to be able to grow my business into, you know, five or two, five and um, 10 years from now and be able to be sustainable and not just start every day at the same place. So I think for every business owners, because of course, he talks about traffic secret, but um, for every business owner, at some point, this traffic will be converted into leads and, you know, it will be closed, you know, which is something that I've done lately. So this is like where it all starts and to be able to um, learn the nuggets and practical skills and with case studies is something that I feel like you know, now I need to really um, equip myself with tools to be able to leverage because we see that times are changing all the time. And therefore, to be able to be prepared for whatever wave is coming next, you need to build upon stuff, you know? So for instance, I mean, in your case, like with your online presence and online communities that you're building, you need to be able to make that sustainable over time so that it's not you. So you can be kind of, to be able to just Leverage or you know um no I love it so the, it's it's, yeah. it's
0: sort of a formula it's all formulaic too to yeah scale your business from what i'm gathering. i'm definitely going to put it on the show notes and, and probably take a peek myself yeah um, I, I I am a hundred percent a believer that leaders are readers, and that just in general, if you're reading a book you know a book a month, a book you know even even if you're skimming through a book that the fact that you're um that you're actually um you know intentionally looking for knowledge is something that will help any business entrepreneur or owner or company. So I love that. I love the fact that, you know, I hear a lot of the folks that I've interviewed, that they are readers, they enjoy reading, that uh, that's something they've done their whole life, and or that it's something that they've now uh, become more, um, you know, in in touch with, right? Um, Because of the fact that we are trying to figure out how we're all going to thrive, not just survive this global pandemic. So I love that. I love that. I love that it's coming from you as well. So tell us if you could get on, you know, with Michael J. Fox in his, I always say it's DeLorean, which it is a DeLorean, in his uh, Back to the Future Time Machine car, and could go back to a younger Sarah. What advice would you give yourself? Hmm.
1: Okay. Um...
0: There's no okay. right or wrong. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Will, this, is all, this, is, this is all you. Yeah, if you, if yeah. all you want to make of it. You yeah. Know, definitely don't say something like, I wouldn't want to marry my husband because <laughs> he won't let us do any more chats uh, or podcasts ever again. But no, what would it be? Uh, what all, it would I mean, be? Joking aside.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, what would it be is to just stick to one thing. Like if there's just been one thing that I've seen that has distracted me is lack of focus, you know, the shiny object syndrome. So, you know, there's an anecdote um, that I heard that apparently, I don't know if you, you know, you probably know this, like when Bill Gates and Warren Buffett like met for, I mean, there are different versions of this. So I'm gonna, but the, the essential story is the same. Do you know the story of when Warren Buffett and, okay. So apparently when Warren Buffett and, um, st- uh, sorry, Bill Gates, you know, all outliers, but anyway, when they met, um, f- I think they met for lunch or meal together with their families. Um, I forgot who it was. Perhaps um, even Bill Gates' um, father asked them to write on a piece of paper one thing that they attribute to their success. Like, the, you know, the one thing so they had to like write on a piece of paper separately and then share it apparently the papers were opened and the one thing that they wrote down was focus right okay um apparently bruce lee said you know he's not afraid of a man who knows a thousand kicks but he's afraid of a man who knows one kicks but has practiced it a thousand times so <laughs> you know that has been like my great flaw if i could go back you know like there's this um, stuff that I've started to do, but you know, like half-hearted, okay, it didn't work and stuff. And even in traffic secrets. So, so even in that, I see that you kind of have to start something and just stick with it. You know, um, st- that doesn't mean that if it's not working, but see what it's not working or change things around. Don't start too many things at once. So that was for me, if I could, you know, be on this time machine and, and go back in time.
0: Got it. So get more laser focused and, Absolutely. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and just business folks and just folks in general suffer with, you know, we get the, the, the shiny object syndrome. Uh, I know I've been guilty of it throughout my life and career. um, and, but you're right that, uh, those, those great, uh, business visionaries typically that the one thing they do have in common is that they went uber focused on whatever that was. Microsoft obviously with Bill Gates, Steve Jobs with Apple, um, even now, the newer uh, folks that, that that we can have millennials and others relate to, like the the Marksburgs of Facebook, you know, decided to just go 100 percent on his idea. Um, didn't go to complete his Harvard degree, but you know, uh, got some some something good out of it nonetheless, right? But it was that hyper focus, I guess. And you know, it's not easy to to do. It's a lot easier to say than to do. I would I would I would say, sure. um from personal experience. But that's great. And if this book helps you know, helps a little bit with that mindset of you knowing what you're going to be focusing on the next couple of months to help with the next couple of years. That, that sounds great and that's some good advice. So speaking of advice, what advice would you give, um, you know, young minds entering the workforce? So as you know, um, right now, anybody that was sitting on a senior class anywhere in the world in a university um, and, and thinking they were going in to enter a, a workforce in a normal way, like uh, like some of their their friends did the year before um, are not expecting that or, or experiencing that, but what would you say uh, to them Okay,
1: um, what I would say to young people you know entering the workforce, and i you know I, I can understand that things are very tough, and in fact, people who find themselves entering the workforce. Have a special opportunity, and of course, without getting into the politics of how good the conditions are for work, what I'd advise them to do is if it's possible to find a mentor. You know, a mentor can be in different forms, right? I think this is a sure way to probably avoid many mistakes and a sure way to have somebody maybe who helps you to be accountable. You know, like, a, you know, um, I don't know how things work in the States. Um, when I was working here in Spain, like in the corporate job in Tissen we didn't really quite have that, but it is a wonderful thing, you know, to have somebody who kind of pushes you and keeps you on your vision of what you want to become, or even tells you if you're not, if that is not, you know, your vision of what to become, say, look, you know, um, get off the train now before it's too late, whatever, but get a mentor, get somebody. Um, and as I said, it doesn't have to be like the top executive it can just be a colleague who's been in the person for a longer time, you know? Um, if you if that's what you want to do, get someone to, to help you along, to motivate you, to push you, um, and to keep you true to what you want to, to become.
0: That That's some great advice. I, I, I believe that mentorship is important. Um, it's not always done perfectly in companies or organizations, but the fact that you're seeking someone yeah. that you're aspiring to be, um, is, is great. It's great advice. So yeah, that, that's an, that's definitely some good advice and solid advice. So you know, we, we, we want to be able to give our folks, our listening, three takeaways. If, if you can kind of think about the conversation we've had today um, and just, you know, put it in three takeaways, three bullets, what would be your top three that you want someone to know about either you, your journey, and or some advice?
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, you're, you're putting me on the spot, and you're actually challenging me to demonstrate that I've got focus <laughs> I like there's no that. right
0: or wrong, but just think of things that you would, you know, that, that, you know, we, we, we just shared in this conversation, the last conversation that you would say, Hey, listen, if I wanted three things that I think are great takeaways for myself, even, or for someone listening, what mm-hmm. would those be?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, the great, you know, the first one would probably be that, um, you know, our lives and you know, for example, even influenced by the book Men's Search for Meaning, not quite to that extent, you know, I don't, pre, you know, I don't want to claim that, you know, there's nothing, there are no parallels between my life and his, but our lives, everybody's life has brought them to where they are um, because of different circumstances, both good and bad, and it has shaped them. Okay. So like they say, you know, like a, it takes a high pressure for coal to become a diamond, like the same, right? So all of who we are in the present is a result of all that has happened to us and with us and all the people. So, embrace that and, of course, start working with that. So, this is the first takeaway our stories make us who we are. Um, wow. And then, this, um, thank you, thank you. Um, the second one is you know, um, just be open to co- coincidences. And that has to do with you, okay, because of how we met, right? So we met um, bec- on a Facebook Live, you know, and you know, since we've spoken, it's just been wonderful. Like, Gianni, you're just a great conversationalist, you know, just make, you know, the person that you're speaking to um, open up. I'm looking forward to um, checking out the other podcasts that you had um, with- Likewise, Facebook. and
0: I appreciate that, and the check will be in the mail. It'll take a little <laughs> longer. <from
1: 10> <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, you know, so, um, you know, be open to these coincidences. Okay. Um, wherever they might, they might lead. And then, um, the third one is, you know, to, from what you've spoken about, you know, as entrepreneurs and stuff, um, and everybody's, you know, um, life has been different. I would say that, um, also gratitude, you know? Um, gratitude to parents, gratitude to our humble backgrounds, gratitude to opportunities, to coincidences, to, you know, being picked out, whatever conversation. So, um, those are the three takeaways. That, that,
0: that, those are great, great takeaways. Those three takeaways, I completely agree with you. And the last one is an important one that we sometimes forget, which is we should be grateful. Um, you know, every day, eight, eight feet above uh, the ground is, is a good day. And so, as much as we may think it uh, challenging, and you know, our career is not in the way it should be, or our children are not behaving the way they should be, or what have you, we, we should be grateful for all the things and blessings we have. So, yeah. With that, with that said, I I, I want to you know thank you for for this opportunity to, to to have this dialogue with you, to have this open discussion about your journey. Uh, I find it incredibly inspiring for uh, for anyone who's trying to accomplish um, their life's calling and understand that that life's calling may have its kind of, you know, its web ebb and flows as you go through that journey. So Sarah, again, thank you for being part of this uh, special podcast, Smart Chicken.